to know that we have a God who isn't just high and lifted up, but he reaches all the way down low to pull us in with arms of love, to hold us close, to embrace us, to remind us that he calls us his own. How many of you are grateful that your God loves you? Loves you in spite of you. Loves you in spite of your faults. Loves you in spite of your mistakes. Love you even when you don't love yourself. He still loves you. Amen. Amen. Vegan, I'm so glad to see you this morning. I'm proud of you because that time change, you know, takes some normal Christians out, but not y'all. You guys are the, the truly saved. Amen. Do me a favor for just a moment. We're going to do something that we do once a month here at Beacon. It's a tradition of ours. It's a time of prayer. What we're going to do for the next five to six minutes is I'm going to ask you to look around to the group of five or six people nearest you. We're going to gather together in a circle and we're going to pray. I'm going to read this passage of scripture and I think it will set the tone for us on what we can pray. It's Psalm 85 verses 4 through 7 and it reads like this. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? No. Revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I want you to gather with the group around you. I want everyone to pray. Let's pray today in this group, God... Awaken me to you. Show me more of you. Let me come to know you afresh and anew. You're new to this church. You said, I've never done this before. Don't worry. Everybody in this church loves you and can't wait to hear you pray. You said, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Don't worry. You just tell them what's on your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's gather for about five to seven minutes. Let's pray. Lord, revive us to you today. Revive us to you.
Love like a hurricane, I am the tree bending beneath the weight of his. Oh Lord, we ask that you would revive us, that you would awaken us from our slumber, that we would no longer be lethargic in our relationship to you, but that we would see you afresh with new eyes like the morning sun. And that in that revelation would come a new understanding of how much you love us, how good you are, how wonderful it is to be called by your name. All this we pray in the matchless name that is above every name and all that agreed said amen. Amen, amen. Do me a favor. You may be seated. High five your neighbor on your way down. Say he loves you. He loves you. Woo, he loves you, but he loves me the most. He loves you, but I'm his favorite. You can say that. It's all right. It's not, that's not wrong. He loves us. Oh, how loves us. Oh, how. Oh, how he loves. He loves. I like what you sing too. I like when you sing too. Oh, how. There's a sweet spirit in the room this morning. Do you feel it? It's tender, it's gentle, it's sweet. I like it. Amen. Because some days I want to jump around. Amen? And other days I'm like, hey, this feels good right here. Beacon, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name is CB. I get to serve here on the team. It's my distinct pleasure to call Beacon my home church. And I'm just overjoyed to see your faces today. Overjoyed at what the Lord continues to do in this little church on Colfax Avenue. And so greatly blessed by the testimonies and the faces that I see as God changes us one by one. I have a couple announcements I'm going to share with you and then we're going to uh, talk about um, being generous, and then we're going to dive into our word today. Uh, a couple things I want to share with you is somebody say next Sunday. Next Sunday. Next Sunday is baby dedication. Amen? So here's the deal. We're closing registration on Tuesday, okay? So if you have a little one, ages four and under, that you want to dedicate to the Lord... Um, I want to make sure that you do that registration today or tomorrow in the app. If you don't have the app, you text the word BEACON to the number 97,000. You'll get back a link. You can download it and do it all the way through. But we want to make sure that we get all of it taken care of by Tuesday. I'm going to be reaching out to families individually. We're going to be inviting families on Sunday during baby dedication. The way that we do it is, is we have uh, fathers and mothers come up here with their little ones. We have the parents read scripture over the babies. Amen. And then we as a church all come into agreement in prayer that that child is now dedicated to the Lord. And so I want to make sure that that's been on your heart. If you haven't yet dedicated your babies, that you do that today, tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Also, somebody say April 2nd. April 2nd is the day we are officially going to go to two services here on Sunday morning. Can y'all help me thank God for growth in the house? Amen. So what's going to happen starting April 2nd, and I'm being, I've been working with our team. We're starting to make our planning, getting ready. But starting April 2nd, church will not be at 10 a.m. By God's grace, church will be at 9 and 11. Amen. 
Now, here's the deal. You already made it, so y'all are the 9 a.m. crew. Raise your hand for the 9 a.m. crew. You did it. You volunteered to be in the early service, and I'm just godly grateful for you. Here's the deal. Actually, I do want to push you. As we continue to grow as a church, we, our job as, as leadership in this church is to make, make room, make room for those of us who are coming to the faith to encounter the faith. And I won't lie to you, I actually really like one service. <laughs> it's a lot easier on me. Pastor Ty, amen? He's like, I can't sweat through any more outfits. Just one, please. One service is really easy. It's less work. It's less stressful on our teams. And I don't mind telling you, I really like it when the room is full. It's, it's fun. It's encouraging. You come in, the room's full, and you're like, all right, it's a party, right? But every Sunday, we have people who don't get a seat, and they have to stand. And we want to make sure that we open the door for people to find their seat. The rule in church is when you walk into a room, if it's 80% full, your brain tells you it's totally full. And the enemy can use any number of little tricks like that to get you to think there's not a place for you. So starting April 2nd, we're going to split our church into two services, one at 9 a.m., one at the 11. Typically, the way that it works is that most people come to the 11, but not you, right? See, come on, you got to get with me because I can't have a full 11 just like this and me and Pastor Ty and our wives at the 9. Amen. I need some of you all to, to volunteer to come to the 9 a.m., okay? So here's my challenge to you. If Beacon is your home and God has already begun to grow you in a mighty fashion, if you're plugged in and you're serving, I want to challenge you to be a 9 a.m. service attender so that our 11 a.m. service can have the space necessary for people who are new to the church to come. Amen? That's a great way for people to join is if they know there's space for them at the 9 or at the 11, right? So I want to challenge you all to come to the 9. We're going to start that on April 2nd. And then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. So you come on the 2nd, get your seat, stake it out, put your big church hat down on it. And then Easter Sunday comes in the crowd, you'll still get your same seat. Amen? I'm just joking. You won't. You'll have to, you'll legitimately have to stake out your own seat. Two services on April 2nd. I'm grateful for it, and I'm excited the way in which the Lord continues to grow us in this house. Last thing I want to share with you before our offering is if during the course of our message today, the Lord tugs on your heart, if he starts to speak to you about an area of your life where he wants to work, if you feel that, that pull of conviction, or if the Lord drops somebody into your heart and says, I want to talk to you about them, that's an invitation to prayer. And at this church, we love to pray with you. Right now in this room are prayer team members, dedicated, selfless servants whose whole focus during our time together is to pray for you. And so if during service you need prayer, you can go on the app and submit a prayer request. In real time, they will get that prayer request and in real time will pray for you right now during service. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I don't want you to hear from the Lord and then set it aside. I want you to dive in and dig in. Every evening as well, Sunday nights, I get your prayer requests and I spend time with the Lord to continue to lift you up. Amen? I think it's one of the special things that we do at our church and I want to encourage you to take advantage of it. I have a few members in our church, they take advantage of it every Sunday. Some of them are putting in prayer requests right now. But it's good. That's the way we're doing it. Amen? Hey, will you help me thank God for the opportunity to be generous in the house of the Lord? Help me thank God for the opportunity to give. You may wonder, why do we clap when I uh, ask you to give? <laughs> Amen. We celebrate the opportunity to be generous in this church because God doesn't need your money. But he invites us to participate in his work in many ways, not the least of which 
is financially. I don't care what part of the text you prefer, this Bible is full of a message of generosity with our time and our talent and our treasure, but please don't think that you can exchange one for the other. Service is not the same as giving. Everyone in this room is called to give. Everyone. If you belong to this body, God's called you here, he has also called you to give. Not giving, ready, is actually just plain rebellion. I know it's hard. It got deep all of a sudden, right? Here's the deal. I love you too much to be like, you can give if you want to. No, you got to give because he said you got to give. Now, how you give is between him in this, and you. In this church, we teach the tithe. We teach the 10%, the bare minimum and more. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I have never seen anybody outgive God. Our most generous people in this church, hear me, are literally the most blessed people in our church. You said, are you trying to teach me to give so I can get? Nope, I'm trying to teach you to give because you already got He's already done enough for you. He, could, he doesn't have to do a single thing, but because he already has, it should birth in you a desire to give back, to be generous, to pour into what the Lord is doing. Paul says it very clearly to the church when he writes. He says, let us not forget, let us not forget the very words of our King Jesus who said it is better, more blessed to give than to receive. That is a mandate against every Christian who thinks they came here today to consume. Amen. Hear me. You didn't come to receive. You didn't walk in this room to watch a show or to participate in a party. You came to worship, and worship includes everything. It's your hands, your heart, your head, your wallet, your time, your service, your energy. This is an all-in thing. Amen. You say, Pastor, you don't know my money. <laughs> I know my money. And every single time I've trusted him with my money, he's always blessed my money. You said, how much should I give? You should give what the Lord puts it on you, not begrudgingly, but God loves a cheerful giver. But I will tell you that the most people, most people in our church are pushing towards giving a tithe, giving a tenth of their income off the top. That means before taxes, yes. Please don't give to Uncle Sam before you give to Jesus. Come on now. I'm challenging you today as good and hard as I can, and here's why. This church is doing a mighty thing, and we are growing. We are growing. We are growing. The fact that we're alive is a miracle, and the fact that God continues to grow us in depth and in width is an absolute miracle. And I don't want you to miss out on what God is doing to help participate, because someone gave that you might have a seat today. And I'm asking you to do the same so someone else might have a seat in another day. Fair? Behind me are several ways that you can give. If you're giving by check or cash on the way out, there's a box. I want to challenge you to stretch yourself, to trust him mightily as you give and you're generous today. All that you give helps us to continue to do this work. Let's trust him in this part too, church. Don't just trust him in every other area. Trust him here too. Let me pray over your gift, amen. Heavenly Father, for all of us who are giving today, thank you that we get to give. We thank you that your principle of sowing and reaping has been tested through generations and you have never failed. So Father, today we sow a seed, a sacrificial seed, a cheerful seed, an urgent seed. And God, we ask that you would plant it 
that you'd water it and that you'd bring forth much fruit in it. God, this is your church. You have to provide for us. Your word tells us that you will provide for us. But we aim to participate in that journey together in Jesus' name. Now, as we let go of this gift, may it never leave our life, but may expand the kingdom in which we are citizens in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all help me thank God for all of the team members here in this church. Production, worship, Spark Kids, welcome team. We even got a chance this morning to celebrate one of our most vital members who shall not be named because she told me, if you ever make a fuss over me, I will ground you. And so, um, thankfully, we're just grateful, grateful, grateful for selfless servants in this house and um, everything that you get to experience here in this church is because of the sacrifice of other people. Amen? Amen. Do y'all have your Bible? Say yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to continue our study today in Galatians. We're walking through Paul's letter to the church in Galatea. We're going to pick up today in Galatians 2. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. You're new today at church. You said it's awfully noisy. That is the sound of heaven. Amen. We have a Spark Kids ministry that meets in the balcony right behind you. It has a soundproof-ish wall, and we are grateful for the opportunity to worship with them today. Galatians 2 and 11. Do you have it? Say, yeah. You look and say, wait, 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 wait. Everybody is going to heaven. Let's do this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it reads like this. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, my friend, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The title of our message today is Relationship and Rebuke. Relationship and Rebuke. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for this moment and this word. I thank you for the relationships in this house already manifest, and I thank you for those that are on the way. God, I thank you that you use relationships to change us. Father, open our minds and soften our hearts today. Use me however you want, in Jesus' name, amen. The big idea, we've been writing a big idea for every study of this text, something that I want you to take away with, something that if you're taking notes today, you can write right across the top. The big idea for this message today is this, the best, the very best, the best word of advice is the word that saves your life. Let me set an example for you today. One of the things that I'm seeing in the modern church, one of the things that you and I all struggle with, it is, um, it is our inability to receive feedback from other believers. Amen? I'm preaching right off the bat. I hope you don't mind today. I have seen it so clear, myself included, the spirit of pride rise up in us whenever anyone who also loves Jesus has something to say about us, ready, especially when they're right. Isn't that interesting? Someone calls you out from your sin and you immediately think, that's the devil. (laughs) You rebuke them. 
you push them back, you change your mind about whether or not that relationship is really healthy for me. I don't know why this has gotten to be the case, but I'm seeing it more and more in the body of believers is that we're just not really very good anymore at addressing our issues together. Maybe it's because a lot of us are just terrified of conflict. I've yet to meet anybody who's really good at conflict. I've met a lot of people who are attracted to conflict, but that is not the same thing. I have not yet met a ton of people who are experts at conflict resolution. And it's not a science. Let me tell you, when Chanel and I do premarital coaching with couples, one of the things that we've discovered that we like to share is that conflict resolution is is more of a practice. I'd like to say it's an art, but I've never met anybody that's beautiful at conflict resolution. I have found people who are persistent, though, who are committed, though, and who day by day get better at conflict resolution. Maybe it's because we we don't like conflict, and so we don't engage or start conflict, or maybe it's because we're so averse to the truth that when the truth comes, it feels foreign. One of the things that I see quite often is in the church today, people struggle with hard truth. If you've come to Beacon for any period of time, that's not you. (laughs) If it's your first day, brace yourself, friend. We believe in a hard truth, a good old-fashioned swift kick in the Jesus pants. Amen. I believe that you being told the truth is the very best thing that can happen to you. The Bible tells us that the truth shall set us free. And yet so many of us are so averse to truth, we're so resistant to truth that when it really comes in, we reject it as false and then we create a false narrative we call truth. We walk away from the church that told us the truth about ourselves and we blame that on them and call it church hurt. We walk away from leaders who call us out of our sin and we call that spiritual abuse. We walk away from friends who hold us accountable and we say they're all hypocrites. We walk away from God's plan only to walk down our own road and blame God when we get lost. And I want to tell you here today that every one of you in this room right now is ordained by God to hear this word so he can speak hard truth and save your soul. And if you don't receive that, you might think that you can save your soul. And I got news. If you could, you would. Amen. But you can't, so God sent Jesus. Amen. Now, here's the deal. Let me paint this little picture for you. If you are leaving church today and I'm out front and greeting people and I see you get ready to cross Colfax Avenue and you do it like most of our church does it, which is doesn't wait for the green Walkman. If you don't think I see all sinners, every one of you, y'all just like, ready, go. Wait, no, you have kids. Wait, just wait. And you start to walk because you think the coast is clear. But I see a truck come barreling down the highway. And I yell to you, watch your level sound. Watch out! You would jump back and be alive today, amen? But you know what most Christians do after hearing a good old-fashioned watch out? You know, I just don't like the way he talks to me. It's just too rough. I need it. I need, hey, he, he needs to respect my mental health. 
And when he comes like that, I just don't like the way that I'm meant to feel. It feels like an attack. I've got some trauma that I'm dealing with. And when you yell, I just don't know if I belong here. And I'm over here like, but are you living or not? Here's the deal. Most of us are interested in the tone and missing the truth. We want people to talk to us a certain way. Let me tell you something about me. I do not care how you talk to me. Ask my wife. I don't mind if you're rough with me. I don't care if you come incorrect. If what you say can correct me, you can say it any way you want to. I don't care. You can run right up to me and be like, never mind. You can put me right in my place. If what you're saying is from the Lord, I want all of it. And frankly, I kind of want my feelings hurt a little bit so that I can have to reckon with it. If you sugarcoat truth, I might swallow it too fast and miss it altogether. Tell me the truth and don't mind hurting my feelings. I only get about nine claps on that usually because most of us are like, hold up. I do have some real trauma and I don't like to be talked that way. And these feelings of mine are valid. Amen. And I don't need you making fun of the fact that some people have overstepped their boundaries and have genuinely hurt me. And yet the truth still must go forward in your heart. And yet all that you've been through still can't build a wall through which God's truth cannot penetrate. At some point in your spiritual growth, God is trying to renew your mind so he can transform your life so that your past no longer determines your future. There has to be a point in your faith where you can say, yes, that was bad, and yes, they're still good. There has to be a spirit of growth in each Christian that says, I want what he has for me, even if I don't like the way that it feels. Ready? Stop letting your feelings lead the way. I had a, there's a young podcaster I follow, and he said, stop chasing feelings. Chase God. And a lot of us are stuck right there. We're stuck with this desire to be coddled, loved. Or we use words like, I feel seen or heard. Hold up. Time out. Ready? He sees you, he's heard you, and even if every other struggling Christian in this room messes it up, he still sees you, he still hears you, amen? You say, I walked in and they just were like, you know, they just, I don't know, like I was in that church and they were just, you know, they're like, I just didn't feel and they didn't see and I didn't, yes, but was Jesus there? Yes. Well, then what else do you need? Faith is what you make of it, Amen. You leaning into Jesus, you can walk into a hospital full of soul-sick people and still be like, he loves us. Yo, how you can get Jesus if you go after Jesus. Amen? Oh, I'm pushing you hard. This is the intro. Our series, this whole study in the book of Galatians is all about growth. And I'm pushing you today to grow up past how you feel when someone tells you the truth. Amen? Now, I want to show you this because you can't miss the beauty of this conversation between two friends. 
and they are two friends. And every time I think about Paul and Peter and how different they are, I always think about the Randy Newman song from Toy Story. You've got a friend in me. You know that song? you got a friend in me. You guys know that song? When the road gets rough ahead and you might. Never mind, I'm just fine. Am I the only one? Never mind. I love that movie because in that movie, you know, we got Woody and Buzz, two remarkably different men who frankly do not like each other. But on a mission, held together and find their relationship. Amen? When I think about Peter and Paul, I think about the same dynamic between two men who are remarkably different and they have a different past and, and yet they're focused on doing the same thing. And God births in them a relationship, a friendship relationship. And what we find right here, this week, right here in this passage of Scripture, just four verses, we find a real moment of conflict between two friends. Now, you remember last week we talked about how Paul had gone to the Jerusalem council to plead his case for the gospel that he'd been preaching. A gospel that was free from Mosaic law and from tradition and, and, and Jewish history and, and, and the ritual that came, especially with circumcision. And he was preaching a Christian liberty that said Jesus paid it all and we're all free because of it. And while he went to have this hard conversation, he had discovered along the way that he had a tribe. He had Barnabas, his friend, who, who encouraged him. He had Titus, his friend, who was proof of the gospel message. He had found that Peter said, I believe the same God that's on my life is on your life. I'm going to go this way, you go this way, but we're saving the same king. Even James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the bishop at the church in Jerusalem, said, my man has got the juice. We were talking about the tribe. But today, beyond just finding your tribe, we're going to talk about how you can help those in your tribe. And that's what this is really all about. I do not want you to belong without also helping those who belong to grow in their belief. Amen? So here's what happens. We pick up the story a little bit later. After Paul tells the narrative of the trip to the Jerusalem council, he's now telling a, a story about an encounter in the church in Antioch. Antioch was one of the ancient churches that Paul had planted, and it was the sending church. If you read through the book of Acts, many of the, the missions that Paul and his, his comrades went on came from Antioch. This church was vibrant and powerful, and they believed in the expansion of the gospel. And Paul says there was a day when... Um, well, my friend Peter came, and he did something I wasn't used to. You see, Peter is a Jew. Paul is a Jew. But the anointing that's on Paul is to preach the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews. And the anointing that's on Peter is to continue to preach the gospel to Jews. And in Acts 10, being the good practicing Jew that Peter was, he believed that Jewish people, though they could be united in spirit through Jesus, still could not participate in Gentile activities like eating food, certain foods, like eating with certain people. The, the idea in this time was that a Jewish person could not eat with a Gentile in any manner because to do so would not only compromise their faith, make them ceremonially unclean, but would also indicate an acceptance and an endorsement of a heathenistic lifestyle. 
Am I teaching you all good with this for just a second? I want to set the stage so you understand, okay? And so Peter had grown up with this, but then in Acts 10, he got this revelation, this vision from the Lord where Jesus himself told him, he said, all things are fine. You can eat what you want to eat and you can hang with who you want to hang. And in this moment, Peter came to a revelation that said, it turns out the gospel is even bigger than my race or my ethnicity. And I think that's vital for a church like us. Amen. Because I go to a lot of churches and I look around and I realize that even in that church, Jesus doesn't seem to be bigger than their race. Because they're holding on to some of those traditions that keep them safe or feel like this is the right way to do it. But not you. You belong to a church where you're sitting next to somebody you ain't never met before. They got a different skin color. They're from a different part of town. They make a different income. And yet here you are, brothers and sisters in Christ. You deserve an applause. Give yourself a hand today. That's the weakest applause. Thank God with me that you belong to a church that looks like heaven. Amen? And if you don't like people of other colors, you are not going to like heaven. You'll be like, where's the white section? Jesus is like, it's way down low. You act like that, you have to take the elevator. It's going to take a long time, and there's no stairs back up. Peter gets this revelation in Acts 10 that he can cross these ethnic boundaries because of the freedom he has in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is remembering that Peter had been able to do this and had been living free from cultural traditions. And then he says, but when he came to Antioch, he stopped eating with the Gentiles because it had turned out that some of those who were teaching circumcision, this book calls them the Judaizers. They were men who believed that you could be Christian, but you also must circumcise. They had intimidated Peter to step away from that unity in the body of Christ to realign based on his ethnic identity. You have to read your Bible, amen? amen. This fight of ours has been happening since the church began. The unique nature of a multicultural church didn't just happen since the civil rights movement. We've been fighting tooth and nail to worship together since we found a Jesus worth worshiping. Amen? And the enemy has been fighting against it too. That's why it's hard to go to a multicultural church. That's why it's a challenge to be in a small group with people who aren't like you. That's why it seems to be so easy to be in a homogenous environment because it's comfortable and we find liberty in natural things. But Jesus calls us to find liberty in eternal, supernatural things. Amen. And Paul says, I saw him intimidated, falling back into this trap of, well, let's just call it. Racism. You see, the Jews thought that the Gentiles were unworthy of being around. And Peter got freaked out. And Paul wasn't about to let that continue to happen in his friend's life. Now, you need to understand these two friends. They have diverging paths. One was a fisherman called by name by Jesus. One was a, a teacher of teachers, a Pharisee of Pharisees, one of the most respected men of the Jewish law of his age. They came from different backgrounds, but both 
had a uniting, powerful encounter with Jesus that had put them on the same mission. And because this had happened to them, they had realized that this relationship was worth fighting for. Oh, I want to push you so hard in this. Every one of us in this room is given a measure of grace for relationships. Every one of you in this room today is encountering someone anew who might be called to be your friend, brother, or sister in Christ. And when God thinks about relationships, especially within the church, he thinks about them much differently than humans. God thinks in decades and not days. And every one of us in this room is called sitting next to the potential that we might get to walk a road with somebody for much longer than we think this 35-minute sermon is going to keep us in this seat. If you could see relationships like God sees relationships, you wouldn't be so fickle about your relationships. A lot of us, we're in relationships so long as it's convenient. Amen? Now, some of you are in a relationship with that person. And you know what that feels like, right? When you're the only one that reaches out. How many of you are the first texter? And you know your relationship when you get into that environment and you realize, I'm the only one that reaches out and they never reach out. You know how you feel, right? You know what you say? Well, I'm not going to. That's it. What's that? I'm done. They done got all the good from me. Find yourself somebody else. That's such a natural response, right? Here's the godly response. You just keep on reaching out every single day. And you say to yourself, I'm done giving my time. And Jesus says, no, you're not. And you say, no, I'm not. Hey, girl, how you doing? I just think about you, love you, praying for you. Let me know if you need anything. Double hearts. Bam! Send that sucker right out. Some of us need to backspace before we send a few messages. But I'm telling you right now, don't you quit. Don't you let up. Don't you resist. Don't you let go of the relationships that God has given you. If you could see how deep and wonderful they are, and you wouldn't let a single conflict, a single misspoken word, a single forgotten answer, an unblocked anything, you wouldn't miss the chance to grow together. Paul knows this is the case with his brother Peter. He knows the glory on Peter's life. He knows the power in Peter's belly. And he knows the camaraderie he has found with this fisherman. They both know Jesus with their whole heart. And they're dedicating their lives to telling the world about him. And they both know it's going to cost them their life. And so when Peter messes up, Paul doesn't say, this fool. Let's not talk to him anymore. He doesn't cut him off. He doesn't turn his back. You know what he also doesn't do? He doesn't chit-chat about him. In fact, Paul is like, hey, man, since I got serious about this Jesus thing, I don't have a ton of real relationships. I'm going to fight for this one. This one matters. And I don't care if you mess up. I'm not letting go of you. And so he confronts him. Now, I need you to understand, we're going to talk about this confrontation, and I want you to see it exactly as it's done. <coughs> 
because what Paul does is confront him very well. Here's your idea for this section. If we want to get our life right, we want to get serious about Jesus, then we're going to have to do it together. If we want to get it right, we're going to have to get it right together. And that's what Paul knows about his relationship with Peter. He knows that if we are going to win, then the gospel is going to go forth and the kingdom will expand. Then I can't do it without you, Peter, and you can't do it without me. So let's kill whatever's trying to kill us in Jesus' name. And so he confronts him. And he does it perfectly. How do I know? Because he does it exactly as Jesus commands him to do it in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse 15 through 17. Jesus himself says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Ready? Please stop overlooking your friend's sin. Please stop ignoring the habitual failing in the people you love. How could you say you love them and cosign on that which kills them? Jesus says, you see somebody's sin that you love, you go talk to them face to face. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's the purpose, right? But if he doesn't listen, then you take along two other Christians. Now, we would call this in the modern church today, that sounds like a gang up. They're about to do, that ain't right. You can't just corner me and tell me my business. Ready? Yes, we can. This is exactly the way that Jesus said we are supposed to get through the sin assigned to murder your soul. I'm going to come to you face to face and say, you did this, it's wrong, we got to make it right. And if you don't agree, good. I'm going to bring Pastor Ty. I'm going to bring Big Mark. I'm going to bring Big Mark. I'm going to bring Big Mark. I'm going to bring all the big guys. We're going to really tell you the truth so that we can get you out of this mess. Jesus says, take two or more with you that everything may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Then if he still refuses to listen to you and to them, then you tell it to the church. <laughs> You just like the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, <laughs> blessed are the meek. Jesus is serious about sin. He says, you tell it to the church, and if they still don't listen, you let them be as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You've heard that part of Scripture. But did you know that part of Scripture was tied to how we rebuke each other in relationship out of sin? Paul has heard these words, and he goes to his brother, and he says face to face, man to man, This is bad. Make a baby cry in church. This is, this is sin. And, and I, I love you. And I don't want to lose you. But if you stay in this and reject God's grace, 
if, if you refuse to return and repent, you will be walking in the wrong direction. And I don't, I don't want to be the kind of person that tolerates that from you. I love you too much to lose you. Now, I don't know how much you like conflict, but that doesn't even sound like conflict. That sounds like an urgent pleading in love to life. And that's what this is all about. Paul comes to his friend face to face, so there's no gossip and there's no rumors and there's no baloney coming in. He says, I saw it, let's deal with it. And then he does it in front of everybody. Read your Bible, right? Galatians, right? He says right here. They were not in step, verse 14. So I said to Cephas before everybody he was leading astray. He says it to his face, and then he says it in front of the church, right? He says it so there's no manipulation. He says it so there's no gossip. He says it so it's heart to heart so that they can restore the relationship. And he says it in front of the people who are struggling because of it. Because the sin is great, and you cannot be deceived to think that the thing that you're hiding and suffering with is no big deal to you or doesn't affect us it does when you walk away from the Lord and you pretend that the life you live in sin is a good life, other immature believers in this building will believe you. You say, I love Jesus and I smoke a lot of weed. There's somebody who just came to Jesus today who now thinks that Jesus and weed is the way. You say, hold up, you're trying to take my weed? I'm not trying to take your weed. Jesus will take your weed at the right time. Amen. But I am telling you that you stand in front of other believers who are watching you. And you are leading them. And Paul looks him in the face and he says, we can't, man, I love you too much. I'm not going to lose you to this. Something's wrong and we got to make it right. And that, I think, is the important part to be mindful of here today. God gives us relationships so that we can defeat that which attacks us. See, many of us can think about hundreds of relationships we've had that were defeated by sin. He had an affair. Relationships that were defeated by deceit, they lied to me. Relationships that were defeated by conflict, we just didn't agree. Relationships that were birthed out of a mutual affection for one another and then at the slightest drop of trouble, the relationship was dashed. But God gives us relationships for those things. Did you know that? The relationship with you have that you have with the person who is struggling is not so that you can say, you know, we don't really have a lot in common. It's so that you can pull them out of the struggle. Did you know you're assigned to them? I'm preaching today. I hope you're with me. Proverbs 17, 17. You should know it because it changes everything. He says a friend loves at all times. When? Do I get a day off? A friend loves at all times. But here's the best part. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, a brother is born for adversity. 
did you know that when we become a part of this family, my struggle is now your struggle and your pain, my pain. We were brought together not just to turn each other's backs on one another when we struggle, but that we might pick each other up, the Bible says, to bear each other's burdens so that when you fall, I said, get up, we got things to do, brother. When you stumble, I said, come on, a righteous man falls seven times, right? Guess what? Someone is there to pick them up. But we have to do it for one another. You don't just get floated up into the arms of your friend. Your friend has to take an active part in this relationship. Let me put it on you. You have to take an active part in the restoration of the struggles of your friends and your family. You cannot pretend that the life they're living is fine. It's not fine. And so Paul uses some pretty harsh words in this text. Hard words. Words of life. Hard words. Words of life. He uses Paul, Paul uses these hard words with his friend Peter to remind Peter that frankly, if you're being honest with one another, we're really chasing after this Jesus that we've both met. We cannot afford to compromise. And I want to tell you this today. You cannot afford to compromise in your faith with Jesus Christ. There's no such thing in this text that says, try Jesus or don't. It doesn't matter. You'll end up in the same place. It doesn't say it, does it? He says, choose the narrow gate. He says, I am the door. The door. Not a door. I am the way, not a way. And so Paul, with that birthed urgency inside of him, uses some very harsh words for his friends. There's three phrases that I think matter to us in this text. In verse 11, he says, I opposed my friend to his face because he stood condemned. Please make no mistake that habitual and unrepentant sin condemns. You will not get to heaven. Mm, ready? You do not inherit eternal life with a body of deeds that the Lord told you to remove, that he gave you the grace to be free from, that you choose to hide and hold on to. Unrepentant sin will kill you. You say, what about grace? Grace is available. All you need to do is receive it and repent. Amen. Grace is not the same as stubborn sinning, right? Paul said, what then should we do? Go on sinning? Of course not. He replies to his friend and he says, brother, I got to tell you right now, you keep acting like this. You are condemned. This is harsh words. And what he's saying is your sin will lead to death. It can't stay. He goes on one more in verse 13. He calls him, Peter, and all of the people he leads down this road, he calls them hypocrites. And here's the real challenge to you and I today. Hypocrisy, that which is saying one thing and living another, it's a misalignment between our life and our belief, and it maligns the belief that we subscribe to. When you say you believe, but you don't live like you believe, the people who are yet to believe don't think there's anything worth believing in. Hear me, okay? Somebody at your work is like, you go to church, right? Yep. Oh, so you don't want to go to happy hour with us? No, I'm good. Let's go. 
I'm not telling you not to have fun, but I'm telling you there comes a point where you have to realize who I say he is must really be who he is in my life. And if we're the kind of Christians who cannot receive hard truth, we will be the kind of Christians who live in hypocrisy. Because we will think it's okay for us to pretend to be at church and Christian, but then every other day of the week act however we want to act. Do you know why? Because no one in the family of Christians has courage to tell us the truth. He says, you stand condemned, you look like a hypocrite, and here's the worst part, you are out of step with the faith. Make no mistake, there's a rhythm to this Jesus thing, amen? It looks like this. I fall down, he picks me up, I keep moving forward. Amen. What's the speed? Doesn't matter. Is it pretty? No, it's pretty dirty. I gotta tell you what, it's a bit of a mess. But I just don't stop moving forward. And Paul tells his friend, gotta be honest, you're stuck in this thing right now. And if you stay in this thing, not only are you out of step, you ain't even stepping anymore. You're walking the wrong direction. So church, here's my push to you, okay? You're in relationships in this room. You've got someone you love sitting next to you. You've got some friends. You're growing. You're in a small group. You're on a service team. You're not yet. You have to be. God calls us to community so that we can grow. And he calls us into community so that the community can help us defeat that which is seeking to defeat us. You cannot do it alone. You must fall in love with people in this room. <laughs> All of us. All of us. And then here's the hard part. You got to let us love you. You really got to let your guard down. You got to let us encourage you and lead you. You got to let us love you. You got to let us, ready, rebuke you and encourage you and correct you. And if you're asking for wisdom, you, you're seeking advice, <laughs> listen to it. I met this guy, he's wonderful. He looked just like Janine's first boyfriend turned out to be her cousin. <laughs> Tall. What'd you say? Light-skinned. Six, five. Six, five. How are we supposed to compete with that? <laughs> he's beautiful. I don't even know where we're going with that. <laughs> You got to let us love you and really lean in and tell each other the truth. I said it to you a million times. I'll say it once more. We need this. I need this. I need people in my life who will hold me up. You need people in your life who will hold you up. You cannot do this alone. You said even... In a crowd I don't really fit in, don't worry, look around. Every one of us doesn't fit in. Welcome to the Misfits. Amen? You know, because you've invited somebody to your church, and they're like, where is it? And you're like, on Colfax. And they're like, that's not Jesus. <laughs> no, ah, forget it. Here's why we do this. Last thought. Band, you guys can come up. We'll worship. One more thing. Uh, I want to share this with you. The reason that relationship matters in the body of Christ, the reason that he uses this is because it models the mission of the gospel. Hear me, many people through the ages have seen this text as a book of instructions, rules, relegating them to obedience and adherence to things that they don't like. Many people have seen this as an oppressive 
pushy, mean-spirited document that says do or die. But that isn't what this is. This book that I hold in my hand and every word written in it is not meant to subjugate you. It's meant to set you free. This book is a love letter from a God who is perfect to a people who are imperfect, whom he loves and says this, I want to fix you. But we will start by me loving you. You see, when God sent Jesus into the world, he sent himself in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He is an invitation to relationship. Will he restore you? Absolutely. Can he redeem you? A hundred percent. Will he make all things new? Yes. But he starts with a relationship. And the reason most of us struggle with relationships in the church in our own life is because we've been seeing everything through the lens of the law, seeing everything through the lens of obligation. We see our interpersonal relationships through what I can get, what I must do. It's all exchange-based. And Jesus says, there's nothing about me that's exchanged. It's not transactional. It's intimate. It's authentic. I just want to be with you. He's a hurricane, and I'm the tree. I just get to, ooh, it feels good. Oh, I just get to be with him. All of the other stuff comes second. This matters because too many of us have missed the relationship part of your faith. You grew up in a religion. You grew up with rules. You grew up thinking that you had to do something to get God to love you. Ready? You don't have to do anything. My God, he loves you so much. Just as you are. Beautiful. And he says, this is it, ready? Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll do the rest, but I give you rest. And that's what we find in relationship. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, would you do me a favor? Let's say a prayer today. If you're here and you've been living religion, you've been believing that this whole thing was about what you had to do to earn God's favor. You never realize that he just loves you just like you are right now. He just loves you just like you are right now. He just loves you just like you are right now. He just loves you. He said, I never had that relationship before. CV, pastor, man, I, I want it. I want that. I want to know him. I just want to, I want to be embraced by him. I want to be loved. I'm not sure how to do the rest, but I want that. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer today. You can pray it with me. In fact, I'm going to ask the whole church to pray it with me. But before we do, if you're here today and you said, I just want a relationship with Jesus. I don't know about how to do the rest, but I want to hold him and I want him to hold me. If that's you, would you do me a favor? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you be the one to look up and make eye contact with me today? So I know who we're praying with. I see you. 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 He sees you. He sees you. 
Would you repeat after me this prayer? Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm making mistakes all the time. I can't fix them. I'm not even sure how to fix them. But today, I want to know Jesus. Jesus, I want you to fix them. Begin a good work in my heart. I surrender. I submit. You win. Be Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand on your feet all over the room this morning? Let's worship before we leave today.